from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm Jane Van Ryan. President Obama last week announced that the United States will open certain areas of the outer continental shelf to oil and natural gas development. He explained that the nation will need more oil and natural gas, while at the same time it develops new fuels for the future. To explain the possible impacts of expanded oil and natural gas development, I've invited Eric Melito to the studio today. Eric is API's Group Director of Upstream and Industry Operations. Welcome, Eric. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. Glad you could join us. Eric, what portions of the U.S. coastline are slated to be open to energy development under the President's plan? Wonder this plan will continue to have oil and gas exploration activities in the western and central gulfs of Mexico and some additional access that will be made available in the eastern gulf, but that's also contingent upon Congress taking action. Beyond that, the President is looking to open up much of the Atlantic seaboard south of Delaware and north of uh, the, the middle part of Florida. And then uh, with regard to Alaska, the Chukchi and Beaufort Seas, uh, those are two of the planning areas in Alaska, would be made available for, for leasing. Uh, and Bristol Bay would be put off limits from, from leasing, and that's uh, off the North Aleutian part of Alaska. And in addition to this, the uh, Pacific Coast would be uh, off limits. How has the oil and natural gas industry responded to the president's offshore plan? Well, we see this as a very positive step, and it's a necessary step in the right direction for our country's energy security. It's a decision that will lead to significant increases in jobs and economic activity for the country. But it's a measured response because there's still a lot of work that has to be done. First, on the implementation part of it in terms of actually moving forward with the permitting and the leasing that has to be done, but also with regard to the areas that aren't on the table. Uh, when, when we talk about the eastern gulf, we're only talking about an area beyond 125 miles, and while Congress needs to act to lift the current moratorium on drilling in the eastern gulf, we'd like to see a, a very expansive opportunity for industry in the eastern gulf. And then in the Pacific, we, we think that there's a lot of opportunity there with significant oil resources to be estimated off the Pacific coast. A lot has been said about the potential that exists off Virginia's coastline. Now, Virginia's elected officials have worked pretty hard for offshore development. Both Democrats and Republicans, as you know, have supported holding a lease sale encompassing about, I believe it's 30 million acres, about 50 miles off Virginia's coast. And that sale was scheduled for 2011. So how does this new announcement affect that lease sale? Well, our understanding is that the administration is going to move forward with Virginia lease sale 220 under the current program. The, this announcement was kind of a mix of two programs because the 2007 to 2012 program was under litigation, and the administration had to go back and look at that. And then the, the, the majority announcement pertains to the leasing from 2012 to 2017. But with regard to Virginia, that is in the 2007 to 2012 plan, and our understanding is we'll see a lease sale sometime uh, in 2012, which, which is great because it's coming along um, with, within the, the, the next uh, year and a half or so, and it's something that can really be a boost to the Virginia 
economy in terms of jobs and economic activity. Now, an important aspect of that is we're hoping that Congress will move to provide revenue sharing to the coastal states, which would allow Virginia to share in the money that comes into the federal government. Currently, with the way the law is written, only the federal government will see the, the, the revenues that come in through the bonuses, the bids that companies pay, the rentals that uh, companies pay, as well as the royalties. So um, Virginia has a lot to gain, and um, hopefully that will occur within the near future. And it uh, would not set a precedent, would it, if there were revenue sharing in Virginia? No. The Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act, which was passed uh, December of 2006, took a similar step with regard to the Gulf states, uh, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, where the revenue slowing from a lot of the lease tracks will now um, be flowing to those those four coastal states. And it makes a lot of sense to do the same for um, any coastal state that has allowed oil and natural gas exploration to occur off the coastline. And the, the governor of Virginia, uh, the two senators of Virginia, are all in support of revenue sharing. And our industry thinks it's a great idea to provide the benefits not only to the federal government but to the state that supports the activity. How much oil and natural gas are believed to exist off Virginia's shores? Well, according to the government's estimates on this lease sale um, alone, uh, we're looking at uh, about 130 million barrels of oil and 1.1 uh, trillion cubic feet of natural gas. And that's uh, really a restricted leasing area, like, like we talked about before. It's, it begins 50 miles off the coastline. If, if you really take the whole Virginia area into account and, and you look at a, a, an estimate that takes into account the ability of our industry to, to advance technologically and, and to really find resources in a new and really advanced way, uh, we see estimates of as much as a half billion barrels of oil and more than 2.5 trillion cubic feet of gas. And to put those in more uh, layman's terms, half a billion barrels is enough to fuel all four million cars in Virginia for four years. Uh, for over four years, and then the 2.5 trillion cubic feet of natural gas could heat all the homes in Virginia for more than 11 years. So it, it's significant. And, and the one point I wanted to go back to was in terms of these estimates. Every time um, we see one of these estimates, uh, later on when we have the actual opportunity to go out there and explore, uh, we dwarf those estimates by, by finding a lot more than was originally estimated to be there. You look at the Gulf of Mexico, the original estimate was around 9 billion barrels. We're already up to 45 billion barrels. Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, um, it's, it's close to doubling in terms of the amount of, of oil resources to be found there. So uh, we, we, we think that once we have an opportunity to get out there, we're going to be able to find a lot more than these original estimates um, have shown. But drilling critics have said that Virginia's oil amounts to only a few days' supply based on current U.S. consumption data. So how do you respond to that claim? Well, there's a couple of things you have to look at, and one is what I just talked about. And, uh, these estimates are based upon technology and research that is over 30 years old, and we, we need to have the opportunity to get out there. The, the, the government, the administration needs to allow companies to go out there and do new seismic work so they can put the technology to work to really focus on the resources based upon today's technology. And like I said, once you get out there and get to work, the way technology advances, you're able to find a lot more. So we think those estimates are low. But second, you need a comprehensive energy plan that takes into account all the oil and natural gas resources offshore, onshore, on federal lands, on private lands. This is essentially a library of, of net oil and natural gas resources that should be available to the public and, and 
when you put off one section of that library, you're putting off a lot uh, of books that would be off limits to the public. So we really need to have access to the, all the volumes of oil and natural gas. Um, every bit counts. And like I said with some of those statistics, you're talking fueling all Virginia's cars and all their homes for several years. And I think that, that, that's a lot of, uh, of economic benefit. Plus, we can't forget the jobs and the revenues that are going to flow. And, and those are certainly needed in the time of economic stability that we're in, economic instability that we're in right now. So how do you respond to critics, though, who say despite the economic benefits that offshore development could harm the environment? Well, you have to look at our record. You know, we've gone more than 40 years now without a significant event from an offshore um, oil and natural gas uh, platform. Um, Our operations have been done in an environmentally safe and uh, responsible uh, manner for for decades now. And you have to look at what's in place to make sure that happens. You have uh, technology in place. You have uh, blowout preventers, not just one. You have stacks of them. So when the, the companies are out there doing the drilling operations, if there's any pressure, bam, it shuts off so that no fluids can get into the environment. And then when it's in production, you have uh, subsea safety valves, subsurface safety valves that are in place so that they too prevent any kind of spillage or any kind of environmental impacts during the production phase. Then you have uh, the operators out there, the the employees working are are certified and and well controlled. Then you have oil spill contingency plans that are required. Then you have layer upon layer of regulation. And then the Minerals Management Service, who's in charge of all this, they do Thousands, uh, I think the latest uh, count, uh, the latest year we had a count, they had close to 25,000 inspections of offshore facilities. So we have a very stringent regulatory framework. We have sound technology, and we have companies that have been just great stewards when it comes to this type of activity. So when you're looking at it, We've created a, a regime where it's very low risk, but the benefits are, are so substantial that they, they outweigh the, these, these very small risks such that we have the oil and natural gas coming to the public, the jobs coming to the public, and we have very minimal risk to the environment. And, Eric, none of it requires a government handout. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, essentially, the government holds a lease sale, and the companies start paying monies to the government, and uh, a lot of people may not be aware of this, but you know, outside of IRS tax collections, these these revenues are the most flowing to the government from any source. Two years ago, we had over, in terms of the bids and the royalties, close to $20 billion from oil and natural gas. And then um, in recent years, we've been close to uh, $10 billion. So it's a lot of money that, that you want to have the opportunity to tap into for the government and to the benefit of the American taxpayer. And then the jobs, uh, you know, we've, we've had recent studies which have shown that if you open up the areas that have been off limits, uh, you'll, you'll create uh, 100,000, close to 200,000 jobs to the American public, which is something we can't pass up uh, in these economic times. Sounds like offshore development could be a win-win for all Americans. Would you agree? Uh, Definitely. Thank you very much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.